good afternoon again. Um, let me just start off asking you to imagine something with me. Imagine the hostility between Russia and Ukraine has ended and the Russian government decrees a return of captured rebels and regions back to Ukraine. The Donbass, all those places they've taken hold of and just, yeah, you guys can go back now. And then after a while, those some situations just keep happening. You know, taxes, unpaid. So the local governments in those places where people have gone back to can't provide services or welfare. Taxes unpaid and public officials even drop or lower the standards of accountability and fees for services and leave the delivery of public services to cowboys and cowboy tradesmen. Um, they even begin to ridicule the system that government has in place, people who've returned there, and even the officials who are part of, meant to be part of the service. Law enforcement, well, things are tight, so we allow people to break the law. And then <laughs> some even let foreign militia, you know, those who feel they're loyal to Russia, just let them dictate how to run the local governments as well. Worse still, some returnees even criticize the government, saying, man, it's really pointless to keep the law, and, you know, government actually treats evildoers as successful. Just don't get caught. Only it's not Ukraine. It's God's people. It's sixth-century before the time of Christ, Israel, who've returned from exile and been returning from exile to Jerusalem for over a hundred years since the first proclamation of mercy on the cities of Judah and Jerusalem. The government is God's rule, and Jerusalem has also built a new temple and restarted priestly services. Those were just the dissimilarities. And other things that were going on that, well, you could say were similar in some sense, tithes for the priesthood are not coming in, neither offerings, no contributions. Priests and the less well-off who get support from these incomes are, well, at a disadvantage. We're dealing with stuff like that these days, right? Cost of living. <laughs> well, the priests, in turn, would let people bring blind animals for sacrifice to God in this new temple that, that's been built against regulation animals. Things that are clean, not lame. Even if the worshippers who bring them have kosher sacrifices to present. They treat the Lord's altar, the priests, like it's not important. I mean, the place where people bring their offerings to meet with God. Truth be told... They're tired of their role, or they regard their role as tiresome. It's just too, too, too much hassle. It's too much stress. People coming to worship, they also offer dodgy animals, even though they have healthy ones to offer as required. The priests don't even correct them. Well, and then guess what? This is... <laughs> I kind of found this a bit amusing. I say God has a sense of humor. They cry when God does not pay attention to their offerings as well. With all these going on amongst the restored people of Israel, do you wonder, do you begin to wonder what 
peace of mind, God would let them in on. This is just uh, by way of an introduction to a new series as we take a really brisk walk through Malachi, the um, book of Malachi. And um, let me just quickly introduce us to the, to, to the book before we uh, spend a moment in prayer, and then I'll read what we're looking at today. Just a few th- quick things to quickly note, okay? We, I mean, to set the mood before we go any further. Notice where the book of Malachi is in your Bibles. If you have a Bible, physical paper, or phone, just look for where it is. See where it is. Notice where it is. In the order of Old Testament writings from the times of Israel's history before Christ, this was the last book deemed worth including as part of the collections of God's words. Note that. Very important. That's not to say that there are no other writings of Jewish history between this book of Malachi, um, which was written about 432 years before Christ, and the time of Christ's coming. There were other writings, such as the, the, the Maccabees, from those times that exist. But even the Jews and those of Jesus' day, and even Christ himself, didn't reckon them as part of the canon of Holy Scripture. In other words, they're not believed to be God's revealed or inspired word. Have you noticed where Malachi is in your Bibles? Seen as the last in the canon? So, on that note, let's pray and take a look at, um, as, we, as we crack open this uh, series on Malachi, um, and we're going to look at just a few things that, um, I mean, a peace going to get, God's going to let us in on a piece of his mind, considering the context in which Malachi was sent to speak to Israel. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. Um, as I stand here this, this afternoon, Lord, <laughs> I recognize and um, at the same time stand with appreciation of the seriousness with which you appoint people to speak your word. True, I mean, true as it is written. People can't just get up and say, thus says the Lord, and presume to speak for you. Even those of us who stand and preach and teach from the the word that you have revealed already, because it is heavy to speak for you, Lord. So as as I stand here this afternoon, Lord, I'm conscious of the temptation to want to make a presentation or a performance or an impression. But at the same time, Lord, I acknowledge that this, the words that we speak are your word. They're not anybody's word. Uh, We can't presume to speak for you. And even you, you have a mind of your own. You are God who is almighty. You're God who is unlike anything we can imagine. We can't just make you out to be a God of our own imagination or one who is just as we think you are. You are awesome, truly awesome. And so I pray, Lord, um, let your word be what you give me to speak this afternoon. Give me your word to speak as you would have the people who are gathered here to you um, hear you. I want to speak what you want to speak. 
I want to declare what you want to declare. I want to teach what you want to teach to each and every person, whether gathered here or who would hear this, a recording of this later on, if there is one. This is not about me, it's about you. And so, Lord, um, lead us, even as you show us even the things you declare to your servants in the times of this word, to us in this time in our present day, and to us in our personal circumstance, in our personal situations, Lord, so that you are exalted. You are the one that we hear today, including myself, <laughs> because I'm not exempt from this. Lord, take all the glory, I pray, even as we speak in your name. For this I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So please turn with me, please. Turn with me in your Bibles to that book. You found where it is, the last one in the Old Testament. Uh, the, <laughs> the words, the, the, the Bible I'm looking at in front of me says it is the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malach. Malach. I got hung up on the pronunciation. Forgive me. <laughs> it's bad habit. <laughs> but we used to, we had, I had this guy who was my classmate in, in school. We called him Malachi. Malachi. And it's not Malachi, <laughs> but Malachi. Actually, Malachi. That's, that's, that's the name of the guy, the messenger. My messenger. And, um, he opens with a declaration, the oracle, I'm reading uh, another translation, the oracle or utterance, giving voice of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I know we're used to calling Malachi, <laughs> so don't worry about that. I'm not, I'm not going to get hung up on it. But simply put, Malachi, let me, let me stick with Malachi. Malachi was speaking in God's name. He was speaking also in God's authority. If you notice, I just read chapter 1 and verse 1. He was speaking in God's authority. So, he was thus speaking what God himself not himself, reveals. So God reveals his mind to Malachi, and Malachi speaks and gives voice to it, like God's mouthpiece. He's God's spokesman, God's spokesperson, communicating God's will and mind to men. This also says something to the fact that prophets are not self-appointed. If they if they are, then they would be presuming to speak on God's behalf and imposing themselves on the people they speak to in His name. Um, I, I take the place to just say this, basically to tell us a bit at the same time about the particular type of um, word we're looking at. It's God has the power to do this, and in His name. In other words, He has the power to communicate and appoint a spokesperson, make that person His mouthpiece, who would declare His mind and His word, what He reveals to the mouthpiece. And um, the person has the power to do this, and in His and um, and His name, His word. And authority are at stake there. That is, God's name, God's word, God's authority are all at stake. Not like God's going to lose his name or lose his authority or lose his, his power. No, he won't. But it's not like anyone can overthrow God either. Curious thing here, and this is something that in our lives experience, if we have had any exposure to people out there in the world, 
wanting to have a piece of this. Many seek to counterfeit what God can do and appear to be something. And the appeal is strong to do so, but this is in God's power. The, and it's worth looking up. I give this to you to look at in your time, just because of time. It's worth looking up Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verses 15 to 22 for a better understanding of God commissioning, ordaining the prophet and his ministry, ordaining mouthpieces and what they do, and even the marks that go with that. So in this general sense, this book is prophetic in that that is Malachi um, speaking, and he's speaking what God has revealed is on his mind and is his will for Israel. So, come back to the point I started off with again. Malachi spoke as God's messenger to God's people and a particular people, people who had returned to Jerusalem after being away in exile. So let's look at what um, Malachi's utterance of the word of God has to say to Israel. He makes several claims in this book. Um, he makes several claims, that is, God makes several claims. Remember, it's God speaking through Malachi. And he makes several claims apart from the one we're going to look at, which is just the first five verses, or verses two to five. There are claims that God makes calling the people to repentance with respect to the priesthood, which has become corrupted like I described in the uh, introduction. He makes claims with regard to worship, which has just become routine. Routine, simple, just like that. Talks also about divorce, which has become widespread, and social justice, which has become broadly ignored. Broadly ignored. Because after all, the tithes and the offerings collected into the storehouse were actually used to serve partially those purposes. Um, and then tithing, which the returnees had neglected for the supports of the priesthood and um, the Levitical service. And then, very importantly, uh, Malachi also speaks of the Lord's messenger. Very important. A very important, um, if you like, stake in the ground that marks an expectation of the Lord's messenger who will prepare the way before the Lord. So today, let's look at God's first claim and Israel's response, I would urge you honestly to just um, stay tuned in, hang in there for the next six weeks just to see how God addresses these claims, each of these claims and points them out and, and um, makes a point of them. Uh, my prayer is that before I step away from here, much as this may sound like we're looking at, oh, history, this is just about Israel. This is just about people who um, returned from exile. We'll see indeed that God speaks to us as well through Malachi. So, uh, reading on from verse 2. Let's look at God's first claim and Israel's response. I have loved you, says the Lord. What you say... How have you loved us? Notice the changes in who's speaking, because this is a conversation. God's making a claim. Israel's responding. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? It's, uh, was Esau not Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. I mean, thankfully, Malachi includes some editorial, if you like, comment there. Yet, 
I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. And I have made his mountains desolation and given his inheritance to the jackals of the wilderness. Though Edom says, we've been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins. This is what the Lord of armies says. They may build, but I will tear down. And people will call them the territory of wickedness and the people with whom the Lord is indignant forever. And your eyes will see this. And you will say, the Lord be exalted beyond the border of Israel. So, what's the big idea here? Essentially, God reminds um, Jacob that they are his beloved people who would eventually bear witness to God's gracious rulership over them. When you think about the setting I described earlier on and Israel's stance, it's a bit like, you know, a deep sulk concerning God for all that's not working. And even how the old, <laughs> there's this thing we call mumu buttons, as in, this is Nigerian phrase, bear with me. So somebody just, you just know, you know where to prod them, you just know where to, to touch them, you know where to, to you know, dig in and they'll just melt and capitulate before you and give you whatever it is you want. So these guys would, are expecting, are sulking that even all the old things we used to do before, just bring the offering and present it. It's supposed to work, but it's not working. What's going on here? And these things are no longer working. And they're complaining. They're in a sulk about their relationship with God. To the point where they're saying, questioning, God, you say you love us. How have you loved us? How have you loved us? There's clearly doubt. They clearly doubt God's love, you know, in asking, how have you loved us? I mean, they got whooped for idolatry. They got timed out in exile. Now they're out of timeout, and it seems like the promises that God makes, even in showing mercy and bringing them back into the land, into God's place, are not forthcoming. So firstly, God makes the point. He reminds Jacob there he's beloved. And he makes the point of, first, just in case you didn't hear me, let me restate it. I have loved you. Just so you know, I meant it the first time. I'll say it again to let you know, I chose and I continue to love you. He explains further. Was Esau not Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. God presents these people who have returned with a very, a very fundamental truth. He chose Jacob. It's interesting to ponder that God in saying was not Esau Jacob's brother, yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. It's interesting to ponder and think that God had a choice whether to love or not to love Jacob. Take that a little further and we see that God chose to love Jacob and to show Jacob grace. Take it even a bit further and see that God is committed to bless and to see his promises fulfilled through Jacob. That's him saying, in, in saying these things, I'm relating these things to Israel or to Jacob. Forgive me if I use the names interchangeably, because Jake, Israel is the name God gave Jacob, um, one of the twin brothers of born to Isaac, 
Jacob and Esau, and he refers to that here. Jacob was later renamed Israel, and uh, I'm used to just referring to him in that name. So just in case you hear me saying Israel, I'm still talking about the same person. So um, take it even a bit further and see that God is, is covenanted to bless him to see his promises to, even before Jacob, to Isaac, fulfilled through Jacob. This commitment that God makes to love, the choice God makes to love Jacob, is not based on any human merit, but is based on God's choice even before Jacob had had any children, had even been born, <laughs> while he was even just conceived, as we will see um, if we refer to the account in Genesis. Uh, there's an account in the book of Genesis, the first um, book in the Bible, chapter 25 and verse 23. So, Rebecca finds herself, I mean, Isaac has been praying for children. Rebecca finds herself, she's, she's conceived in answer to God's prayer, in, in, answer to, in answer to Isaac's prayer. And then she finds she's got two children, or she's got children in her womb, and there's, there seems to be a tussle going on. And she's, she goes to consult the Lord. What's happening? Is this how it is with, with, with you know, these things? And then the Lord says to her in verse 23 of Genesis 25, Two nations are in your womb. Two nations. And two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. Two verses later on, after this, you see that the older that was born first was Esau. And the younger was Jacob. But what do we see there in verse 23? The older shall serve the younger. God made that choice, made that known even before Jacob was born. So, restating and bringing this back to Israel to understand. These are, are people who have returned in a sulk, upset. Things aren't working out. But he reminds them, I chose you. I've loved you. I've chose you. I chose you, Jacob. But I did not choose Esau. It's worth commenting on the, the, the verse that says, I hated Esau. It's not like there was um, any kind of animosity or, or, or enmity against Esau, but a case of God making a choice to love, to set his favor on Jacob and not to set his favor on Esau, just to clear that up there. And in this place we see God chose Jacob and his descendants, because he talks about the nations that are in the womb of Rebekah, to become the heirs of his promise. And he remains, even at this time, where they've come back after a time in exile, after a time of being turfed out of, the, of God's place, as Pastor Rob was um, outlining to us and sharing with us last week. God's people turfed out of God's place, the land of promise, and God remains committed to them even after that. I wanted to read a long passage, but I'll touch on it in the application of this point. He restates, God restates this to Jacob, even though Jacob has been afflicted, having gone through an exile, a period of exile, at least 70 years for disobeying God, out of the land, just like some people in Ukraine are finding themselves turfed from their land, not for similar reasons, of course, but find themselves evicted, exiled. So, that does not take away the fact that they were even exiled at all. 
doesn't take away from the love, from the choice that, and the commitment that God makes to fulfill his promises to Isaac, to Abraham, through Jacob and his descendants. God loves Jacob still because he has chosen to love them. Just a quick point, a quick couple of points of application before I move on to the next point. How does this apply to us? This is not the last place where God makes a choice that is not based on human merit to bestow his love. Um, touching briefly on it, Paul explains it clearly enough in Romans chapter 9. Can I ask you again, please take time to read this. But if there's anything I would like, I would ask you to take away, please make it this very passage. The idea of the text, of this text is revealed in Romans chapter 9 and verse 8. Please turn with me there. Romans chapter 9 and verse 8. Can I ask you to have a look in your own Bibles? You know, these are descendants of Jacob at least according to the flesh, right? I mean, when the first sets of exiles returned, we, I think we went through Ezra, Nehemiah, there were some who were found, they couldn't establish their genealogy and all that, and they were excluded from the priestly service and so on. But look at what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 9 and verse 8. That explains this so well. It's not the first place where God makes a choice that's not based on human merit to bestow his love. Romans 9 verse 8, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. In this account, or in Romans chapter 9, Paul talks extensively. I mean, this is the second example he uses, but he also cites an example of uh, a promise that God makes to Abraham's descendants. And, wow, it was amazing getting to the point when you read the account and go deep into it, where getting to the account where God calls Abraham and promises to make a great nation of him. Your descendants will be many. There'll be, you, there'll be so many. And Abraham goes, oh, Ishmael, God, God bless Ishmael. And God goes, uh-uh, no, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> By this time next year, Sarah will conceive and bear a child to you. God had already promised a child. Abraham had a child already when God came to reaffirm his promise. And here we see the same idea of the children of, of promise who are regarded as descendants. Can I ask a question? And I hope, I've, I, hope I have um, made this clear enough. I fear I might not have. Do we question our relationship with God on account of our estimate of our own position with God, our own position before God? We've given the offerings. We're not seeing the promises God may come, come through. Things ain't working out. And it's almost like every man for himself now. Let's do what we want. But God comes out in the midst of all that where the people are tempted to just, look, God, it's not, there's no point. This isn't working. After all, 70 years of exile hasn't really achieved anything. If, 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 if anything, the temple that we rebuilt and, and saw rebuilt was smaller. People who'd seen the old temple cried their eyes out <laughs> when they saw the temple. Like, this, this doesn't look good. Does our relationship with God look bad in our own eyes? Well, I've heard people ask at times, am I under a curse or something? Because things aren't working out right. 
things I put my hand to. I mean, why are other people just smooth sailing? And for me, man, even the smallest thing I put anything into, if I lose massively on it, <laughs> like, I'm doing everything right, God. Well, question I have to ask here then is, what relationship do we have with God? Is it one in which I stand before God without anybody, without anyone who has God's ear actually there for me? What about the one, you may have heard of him, in whom God is well pleased, who God has told us about? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And who God has told us about as well, whosoever believes in him will not perish, but may have everlasting life through him. We can have such a special relationship because that's what God is re-emphasizing here to Israel, to Jacob. Hey, I have loved you. Look how I have loved you. I chose you to love you. I chose you to fulfill my promises to your forefathers, to establish and bring redemption even through you, to bring it about through you. We can have such a special relationship that makes us also accepted, chosen in the beloved. Well, moving on with our, with our text. God doesn't stop there in saying that he's loved Jacob, but he's hated Esau. Taking account of the fact that Judah went into exile and Jerusalem was destroyed on account of idolatry and disobedience, um, God reinforces again the idea of his love for Jacob. How does he show this? Well, he tells Israel that indeed he chose not to love Esau. It's kind of like emphasizing his choice for the beloved. But also in saying, look, I chose to love you. In a roundabout way. I didn't choose not to love you. I chose to love you. It may seem a bit like tautology there. If that's, if that's the right word. <laughs> like, like you're saying the same thing. <laughs> but guess what? Um, he goes on to say, look. I have made his mountains a desolation. And given his inheritance to the jackals of the wilderness. This is what God declared um, in, in choosing his, in expressing his hatred of Esau's, against Esau's idolatrous um, descendants. So, check this. Judah has suffered and had the result or the consequence of disobedience by, being, by going into exile. I know I'm repeating myself again. But here, Esau gets this told and laid down. And here, God emphasizes, look, I've made his mountains a desolation. I've given his inheritance to the jackals of the wilderness. Though they say we've been beaten down, but we'll return and build up the ruins this is what the Lord of armies says. They may build, but I will tear down. <laughs> like, okay, if anybody's going to get it, I will, I will, I will display my, my choosing not to love here. And that's what I've done with this lot. You, however, and it's not, it's not like God is making any comparison and saying, okay, relatively, they're worse than you. 
after all, God didn't choose Israel because of merit. But he's chosen to show his, um, his enmity there. And rather than choosing to come and restore fellowship with Esau, God chooses not to be intimate with them. They're not beloved. They're not even brought into fellowship like these, like, like, like Jacob is. They, if, if you like, just looking at both of their situations, they've, they've, they've experienced similar thing. Edom or Esau got, got, you know, beat up by Egyptians, by, by uh, Moab, by the Babylonians. But same, same thing for, 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 for Jacob. But God comes back to Jacob because they're his beloved and still restores them back to their place. Rather than, and, and doesn't do the same with Esau. Well, and he lays their heritage, even the land that they have inherited, bare, lazy, desolate. And we see an account of God's um, determination to do this in Obadiah. That's one um, little book of prophecy in the, New, in the Old Testament. God again, an ordained messenger speaking God's mind about Esau and declaring what he's doing, even concerning them for their role and their involvement as well in taking um, Judah into exile. Now, what do we see um, here with regard to this? Now, though they make any attempts to rebuild, though they make any attempt to restore, God would negate their efforts. This is in contrast to um, his, the ones who, who he's dealing with as his beloved. Now, as well as this, other nations will come and bear witness and see, hmm, these people, the ones who God has, uh, the, the ones who God has not loved, I declare them as the people who are the territory of wickedness, people who, with whom the Lord is indignant forever. It's like there is no restoration or bringing them back into this special relationship because he's not looking to, to have that relationship with them as objects of his love. But thinking about this, isn't it reassuring that God keeps his word? Isn't it reassuring that God keeps his word? Where he makes a promise to bring redemption, to bring um, restoration, to bring salvation, even through his choice and his beloved, that God actually brings it about. Let's quickly just look at how this indeed um, applies and think about how this could apply to us as well. I mentioned earlier on God speaking about his beloved. There are so many instances where God speaks about us being welcomed in the beloved. And it's reassuring to know that when God determines that he will not hold transgression, he will not hold um, our iniquity against us, we can count on his grace we can count on his on that special relationship that special status that special purpose that god is looking to fulfill remember the big idea here is that 
God's reminding Jacob that they're his beloved who would eventually come and bear witness to God's gracious rule over them. So, for us, we may be in situations or circumstances where we find, ah, it really doesn't look like things are working out. We find ourselves, and this is, and this is a bit of a dilemma um, that many have described as, okay, God's kingdom is already here. We have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. His covenant is already fulfilled in that Christ has brought and wrought salvation for us, for us, for whoever believes in him. But here we are now. Is every promise of God, all the things we look for, uh, look for and hope for, every bit of the salvation that we um, that that God has brought and promised to us in Christ, is that? fully, completely realized right now. Answer to that is <laughs> yes and no. Because God in his covenant, his promise, his word, he will uphold. He will fulfill. He will establish. He'll bring it all to come to pass. Christ is risen. Our sin is taken away for all who believe in him. Or the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross, taking away our sin. Um, We're called to walk by faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, we're in this world, we have, there's a promise remaining of, of the mortal putting on immortality. There's a promise remaining of, I, I mentioned it earlier on, having everlasting life through Jesus Christ. But it's not yet. We're talking about cost of living crisis right now. And other kinds of issues. Some of us are dealing with ailments in our bodies. And yet, uh, we pray, we call upon God, we want for the Lord to really answer us, help us, heal us, but we don't see the, 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 the new heaven and earth that is promised to us even uh, realized just yet. What do we do? Give up on God, call it, well, it's not really worth it. I, I don't believe God anymore. Let's, let's write this off or just make it simple and routine. Let's keep it just simple. I just, I just want to be a nominal Christian if there's any such thing. But God reminds us even here that Whilst there is, every, there is every and similar temptations to look at the, the, the call that he has upon our lives, look at the special relationship that he brings us into in Christ as though it were just ordinary, as though it were just token, as though it were just something we should trivialize and make simple and not pay any serious mind to. We are reminded that um, eventually, eventually, we will be the ones who bear witness to God's grace upon our lives. Because in verse, in the last verse of our of our section today, they the Lord says to Israel, your eyes shall see and you shall say the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. 
the restoration, the, the salvation that we look for, yes, it comes. We, we, we live in hope every day. We live by faith in Jesus Christ every day. We live by faith, believing in what Christ has done, faith towards God, that his word is true, that his word will not fail, that his word will come true. And yet, um, <laughs> against every temptation to consider ourselves um, in terms of our relationship with God on our own, we are reminded that, look, we are also brought into a special relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And just similar to the children of Israel who find themselves waiting for promises, promises that really are not fulfilled but not yet altogether totally fulfilled because there are things which will be fulfilled in Christ. Similar to them, we are called also to endure and wait upon the Lord, trusting in his promises, trusting in his faithfulness, even as we, um, we ourselves also wait even for the fulfilling of God's promise in Christ. Those also who experience and um, see the wrath of God, those who are not loved by God as well, <laughs> the opportunity remains for us too, or for such as would count ourselves as <sighs> not loved count ourselves as unworthy if we stand before God by our own, by ourselves. The opportunity remains and is there for us because of what Christ has done. There is one who is chosen, Jesus Christ. There is one who is God's beloved son in whom he is well pleased. There is one in whom we have opportunity as well to be accepted. Where we, when we place our trust in having a special relationship with God on account of the work that Christ himself has accomplished, that we may also be added in, that we may also take part that we may also have that special relationship with God. I want to conclude on reading this, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to conclude reading this um, verses in Romans chapter 9. God says, <clears throat> excuse me, God says in, um, God says to Moses, chapter 9 and verse 15, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it doesn't depend, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And should there be any who find ourselves questioning our relationship before God, Wondering, ah, am I one who is not loved? Am I one who is not chosen? Am I one who is not beloved? The, the opportunity yet remains. Because as we see God here remind his people that they're his beloved, 
it's very, very interesting that they are beloved not because of anything that they have done, not because of anything that they have worked, not because of any merit. And though tempted to turn aside from God and carry on working in our own strength, we have the opportunity as well to enter into this special relationship with God, being chosen, being loved, being God's beloved people. As indeed God says in Hosea, Romans 9.25, and we read this a couple of weeks ago, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called the sons of God. We see a people who are not worthy, not meriting, not even knowing, not even having done anything of themselves, good or bad, to merit and to welcome or attract the love of God. Being loved, being chosen, being received and welcomed by God and having the opportunity also to eventually bear witness and declare even through such invitations as this that God is gracious and his name will be exalted even among all the nations declaring the opportunity that there is for all who are not God's people even to become his people as well. For those who were not loved to become beloved. And in every place where it was said to them, you're not my people, there they will also have opportunities to be called the sons of the living God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Much as your word speaks to your people who are chosen, who are your beloved people, special people, for your purpose to be accomplished, who would eventually indeed attest to your goodness and your grace in all the nations, among all the people. Lord, we pray as well, even for us, <clears throat> for ourselves who have also had the opportunity and been invited to have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Praying, Lord God, that indeed as many as hear this word, hear your word, will take advantage and enter in <laughs> Jesus, Jesus describes it saying that, you know, the kingdom of God, you know, many are rushing into it, pressing into it. For as long as there is today, Lord, I pray, make that opportunity real. Make that opportunity known. Make it clear, Lord, that there is still opportunity for us for as many as hear your word to um, be your beloved people <clears throat> and to also bear witness to your grace lord thank you thank you even for your word as you have given us today we pray this in jesus name amen Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.